Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. My name is Steve Sophronis, and I am proud to be the host of Highest Aspirations. This episode is part of our special Look for the Helper series. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood offered some relevant advice for navigating difficult times like these. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. The ELL community is full of helpers, and we are proud to amplify their voices as we face the reality of long-term school closures as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. We are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. We are stronger together. So if you'd like to share your ideas, inspiration, or simply share your voice, our doors are always open. Just go to bit.ly slash ELLhelper to learn more. That's bit.ly slash capital E, capital L, capital L, capital H, E-L-P-E-R. You'll find that link in our show notes as well. Katie Francis, thank you so much for joining us on our Look for the Helper series uh, through Highest Aspirations. It's good to be here, Steve. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. We talked, uh, geez, probably like a year ago now about a totally different topic and reached out to lots of different folks on our Look for the Helpers um, sort of campaign here, and you got back to us. So excited to chat with you about what you're doing um, down in Kentucky. Could you tell us first, uh, remind us who you are, what you do for uh, work, where you are, um, and sort of uh, what you're up to now. Sure. I am Katie Francis. I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky at Northern Elementary, um, Fayette County Public Schools, and I am an ELL teacher in an elementary school K through five. There are almost three of us that work full time and we service about 180 kids. Yep. And that's 180 kids right now who are out of school, like many others, and um, who you still need to support um, in, in many different ways and who are relying on you all. So that being said, what are, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing kind of emerge um, as a result of these long-term school closures? I think you told me earlier that you all are out until at least April 20th. Is that right? Yes, that's per governor's orders for now. April 20th is kind of a tentative date, but he has said um, most recently in his press conferences that um, schools should expect that to go longer. Right. So I think as a district and, and for sure as a school, you know, it's a, we're at a low-income school and we have some low-income schools here in Lexington that our, our number one priority was to make sure that kids can have their basic needs. So our district did a very good job very quickly of setting up ways for kids, all kids under the age of 18 to get food. So they can get breakfast and lunch provided by the schools, um, either at a bus stop near their house. I think our school has four different bus stops or they can drive by the school and pick it up as well. So that will continue on all weeks we're out of school except for spring break, which they wouldn't be getting food anyway. Yeah, I was just going to say that this is uh, this is like what you just said is the first thing that people are saying to me all the time is we need to make sure that, that students have their basic needs met. Um, and it's really amazing and heartening how quickly people are pulling things together to be able to provide students with food and hopefully 
this whole thing is shining a spotlight on all of the services that schools provide, because I think many people don't know that students rely on schools for way more than just an education. And way more than food. Our family resource coordinator has been great making sure, you know, kids have clothes, bills are getting paid. Um, Kentucky Refugee Ministries has stepped up to make sure that they are communicating with our families in their home language so there's no confusion. Um, and our social workers and guidance counselors have done a really good job making sure um, that they get some social emotional learning while they're at home as well because we know those those are things that kids don't always get away from school. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and the, the idea of what you're talking about is just great collaboration between uh, different groups of, of, um, of people. Absolutely. So I know you did mention in, um, it sounds like you have sort of the basic <clears throat> needs of the students under control and, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure there's still challenges. Um, but once you have that in place, you know, or once schools have that in place, they're starting to sort of think about academics and keeping students engaged in some way. Um, what are you, like, what challenges are you seeing there sort of academically and, and how are you going about um, trying to solve for them? Well, our first challenge is that we know we have students that do not have internet access at home, or even if they have the internet, their parents may work during the day, and so maybe they don't have access to a phone or a computer. So as a school, we decided, at least initially, we would make sure that every student had something in pencil and paper. So teachers very quickly had to put stuff together, um, and all students this week or last week received a package in the mail that was pencil and paper. So some of those challenges for ESL and ELL was to make sure that they were modified and differentiated the way that students could still be learning and able to do their work. Um, we, have a, we have a pretty large percentage of newcomers. So obviously things like um, letters and sight words and high frequency words are things that we had to pull together as ESL teachers to make sure that they went home to students so that they could do some stuff independently. Because obviously if their parents have limited English as well, it would be hard for them to be helping them. Right. That's such a challenge. Did, did you find that you were able to use um, resources that you had already created and that you'd ha- you had already been using and just sort of repurpose them? Or was it really like a all hands on deck effort to make sure that you adapted all this stuff to get it to students and families who needed it. And like, it wasn't just as simple as, Oh, we're just going to put this online. You had to like use the mail, which is a novel concept, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we did. um, I I think, I think down the line, we're going to, we are a Chromebook one-to-one school, but again, the concern of getting Chromebooks there and whether or not they have the internet and whether or not they can use it was, was an initial concern. I think the longer this goes on, we're going to consider trying to roll that out. Um, we used a combination of, of programs we already use at school. So we use um, a newcomer program. We use Language for Learning. We use Wonders Newcomers um, and stuff like that that we could already pull from and the kids were familiar with it. So it didn't seem like a brand new thing when we sent it. Um, and then we do have, you know, we have some students that can do the work that it doesn't need to be modified um, or maybe it just needs to be modified a little bit. So if they're doing a chapter book, then maybe we're sending home chapter reviews for specific students so that they're not overwhelmed by as much work um, or for 
reading some of the vocabulary, we would throw together some vocabulary words and we would create a picture word connection and give that to teachers. So we really just, we reached out to each grade level and each teacher specifically um, to find out what they needed from us. And last week it was all hands on deck. We, all the teachers, students were not in school, but teachers were at school. Um, they were considered NTI days, non-traditional instruction. And so our goal for that week was to ensure that students had work for three more weeks of NTI days or NTI weeks going forward. So that would push us basically until the beginning of April. Right. Right. And I know from our conversation before you already had, I feel like a pretty good relationship with both content teachers and your families. Um, you know, we had talked about that in a previous podcast. So that, you know, I, we had talked specifically about how you share cultural information with content teachers. Did you find that having those, I think there were binders that you all had and maybe are still using. Did you find that that was helpful in sort of getting this all set up like that sort of pre-planning? I mean, you never knew that this was going to happen, but I imagine it must've been useful. It has been very useful for teachers, one, getting a hold of families. So we had a language section in there where it listed um, the language that they would prefer to have contact in, and then also our language line information, which allows us to make three-way calls to parents using an interpreter um, to, A, check to make sure that they have all their basic needs, and if they don't, where they can go to get them. B, help them understand what's going on why we're not in school, um, and then see what was going to be coming home and what to look for going forward. So I, I think the teachers appreciated that. It was on hand. They didn't have to ask anybody for it. So hopefully that's something that was very useful to them. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll link to that other um, podcast episode that we did with you as well, because I think it's relevant for now. I'll do that in the show notes. But I mean, it sounds like you're in you know, I keep saying to people like under the circumstances, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well. We're figure, figuring some things out on the fly. We're using some things that we already had, but based on what you've told me, it seems like you're in a pretty good position right now to kind of start at least getting some, you have the basic needs, Matt, you have a plan for food and for, uh, you know, social emotional and for clothing or whatever the case may be. And you're starting to sprinkle in some academics. Um, What's next? What are you, you knowing that this probably will go past at least till April 20th and maybe not? What are you kind of preparing for? What is administration asking you to prepare for? And how are you go, going about doing it? Well, one of the other things we did send home, we do know we have some families that do have internet access. Um, and so, again, going with things that students were familiar with. Uh, my coworker Jamie and I spoke at the National Center for Families Learning Conference this year, and one of the um, presenters that we saw was presenting on something called Wonderopolis and Flipgrid, which a lot of people may already be familiar with, um, but we actually sent this home as well, even though we know some of our kids can't reach it, some of them can. Um, so Wonder we the purpose behind it was we know we want to hit all four domains. So not just reading and writing, which they're probably going to get from whatever their teachers are sending home, but also the listening and speaking domains, uh, especially for our newcomers, but for all of our ELs. So Wonderopolis is a free site. You don't have to have a sign-in or a login or anything. Um, it has nonfiction articles. I think there's about 2,500 of them on completely different topics. 
Um, so there's a wonder of the day. For example, today's when you pull up the site, it says wonder of the day, who was Arthur Ashe? I see it. I have it open right now. Right. So there's usually a short video and maybe a couple of pictures and then there's an article. Um, and so it's really cool because it's free. You don't have to log in. But one thing they have added this year, which we absolutely love, is there is something called Immersive Reader. So if you, you can click on it, it says listening, you can click on it and it will read to you in English, but it will also give you some other options. And one of those options is for the document to be translated into different languages and read in those languages. So for example, if we have speakers of French or Spanish or other languages, they are students, we've taught them already how to click on it and change so that the all of the words change to whatever language they want and it will read the, the language to them. So they can both listen to it in English, but also their native language. That's great. I have not heard of this one before. Flipgrid I have, and some people have shared. And I think that's a common one to use and it's quite useful, but this is, I'm looking at it now. This is great. It is. It's, um, there are some, they're still working on it. So we have a pretty high population of Swahili speakers. So it will translate it into Swahili, but it won't yet read it to them in Swahili. Um, but I know the Portuguese works, the, the French, the Spanish, and there's different dialects on there. So it will say French, France, French, Canada, mm -hmm. um, or Spanish, Mexico, Spanish, Spain, Spanish, South America. So it also will, will dive into some dialects there. I think they have Irish dialect and English and Scottish dialects as well. So what we sent home is pick anything you want. There is a place for you to type in. So you could type in tiger or rainbow or whatever, and it will pull different articles up and they can listen to it. And then they take that information. They will go to Flipgrid, which again, you video yourself talking. Um, I know it's much more popular. People are really picking up on it. Yep. And we sent home sentence starters for them and they tell us what they learned from their Wonderopolis article. So hitting both the listening and the speaking, if that's something that they want to do or they have access to. Yeah. And you know what else you're doing is providing students with some agency that they can right. kind of choose what they're, what they want. So you, what a great, I mean, I, I, for anybody listening, that's a really great not too difficult to accomplish, assuming that you have internet, which is again, is like, you know, a big assumption assuming. to make. Yes. But, um, but if that's available, you know, you've just laid out a really solid uh, lesson plan that includes, like you said, listening um, uh, and speaking uh, and reading obviously as well. And you could even do some writing in there, but using Wonderopolis as the place where you can kind of go and find information. Flipgrid is the tool that you're um, getting students to speak and be interactive on um, and you sending home those sentence starters so that the students can, you know, get started with these when they need them. So they're practicing some common vocabulary. And again, like that agency piece, so much of like what people are trying to do with online learning now lacks agency because teachers, understandably so, they haven't worked in the online environment, don't necessarily know how to kind of, you know, they, they, I guess what I'm saying is they maybe in some ways provide too much structure. And so the students can't like explore on their own, but there's so much opportunity to do that. This is a great example. Yeah. We really liked, as soon as we sat in this, um, 
meet, it, it wasn't a meeting. As soon as we were at, at the conference, it, it was something we have both said that we took away more from that than we have a lot of other conferences we've gone to because we immediately put it into structure in our classrooms. And like I said, this is something our students are familiar with doing. So it's not like we're sending home something they've never seen before. They know right. how to Wonderopolis. They know how to work the immersive reader and they know how to do the flip grid. And the great thing about the flip grid, which if you've used it already, is that you can you can do an example. So they get to see my face. I get to see their face. Mm -hmm. I can comment on what they've said. Other students can comment on what they've said with each other. So it's it's even though it's not a live community, it's a very um, fluid community as it continues to go forward. So they can do as many as they want or as few as they want. Um, I think I have one girl who's already done like five or six. She loves it. Uh, and then we, and all ages. So even I have a kindergartner that's done two. She is an older sister who's in third grade, who's helping her do it because she already knows how. So even a kindergartner can listen to the Wonderopolis and get on a flip grid and make a video and tell me what she learned. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that, that it's not a live community and, and, you know, I've, I, I've seen my kids just today, <laughs> actually, <laughs> you know, and it's second grader in a zoom room with, you know, 10 other people and two teachers. I mean, it's nice and it's good, but boy, it takes a lot to kind of wrangle that, you know, um, particularly when you have multilingual learners and, you know, people with different degrees of internet access and different devices, when you can do something where you can still show faces and you can still hear voices, but it's not all done at the same time. It makes it a little less messy um, and a little bit more, um, you know, you have more of the ability as a teacher to kind of look at, at students' contributions more carefully. Of course, and we, we know from our population just how important school is to so many of our kids. Our kids knew the, the last Friday we had school, they knew already we were not gonna be in school for the next two weeks. Yeah. And it was a very trying day for everybody, not I'm just sure. but students as well. As well. Um, so we have really tried to keep that connection. Our school has also on their Facebook page, um, they're doing something that's called Nighttime Stories, Night K-N-I-G-H-T, because we are the Northern Knights. And teach, uh, every night we have a different teacher reading a book, a picture book from home, from their house or from that's school. Great. So each night they get to see a different teacher. So we've had the librarian has done one, a first grade teacher, our guidance counselor. So different people throughout. So I think there are eight or nine up already. Eventually we're going to run out of teachers. Um, so I'm just recycle to, them. Just bring them back. Right. Either that or I'm going to try to maybe use, you know, some social media to see if I can get some, some local celebrities on there. But there you go. Um, the kids really like still feeling connected to school, even though they're not in school. Yeah, for sure. That's so important, seeing faces. I mean, you know, I've had a few people describe um, the work that you do as, as EL, ELL teachers and ELL specialists as, you know, as an anchor for the student. And without that anchor, you know, they can have a really difficult time. Um, and school as well, just school being that that safe place. So it's so important to keep that going. So, I have, I have like a couple more questions for you. One, one main question, and this is something that I've try, been trying to ask everybody in this Look for the Helper series. There's a lot happening. Teachers are forced to, and students, and really everybody involved, and families, everyone, are being forced to do things that they haven't done before and experiment with things, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. My question is, in, in the spirit of kind of silver linings, what, what do you hope we learn from all this 
and continue to use or do when the dust settles with all of this uh, coronavirus stuff, hopefully sooner than later? Well, I think building those relationships is going to prove very impactful. So maybe some teachers or schools or districts that haven't really put a focus on knowing your students, knowing your family, building that community between families and schools. I think it's gonna be very easy to tell that either you have them or you don't. And if you don't, how important right now it is that there is that community between schools and kids. And I think that's important for educators, but I think it will also be important for parents to realize that, again, we talked about this at the beginning, how many things that schools offer children that we don't realize. I am now realizing as a parent, I mean, I know I'm a teacher, but also as a parent, my child loves school and it is hard for him. And it has only been a week and a half. I hear <laughs> you. Know? you. I mean, he misses his friends and he misses his teachers and he misses art class and he misses music and he misses recess and he misses snack. I mean, things that I can sort of do here, but in all reality, it's not the same. Right. You know, when he was little, I remember feeling guilty that I would take him to daycare if I had a day off, but he wanted to be at daycare because daycare is entertaining. It challenges him academically and cognitively and physically. And I think that parents are have if they haven't already, but it appears online that they have. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're realizing very quickly how much support schools provide for their children. Yeah. So hopefully that's something that uh, we're very lucky in Kentucky. The state is very supportive of teachers. We had um, some protesting the last couple of years and a change in administration um, in Frankfurt. And so we're in a state that we feel very um, appreciated by the people around us, but hopefully that's something that is going to extend beyond this coronavirus as we've seen that kids are not in school and and what that means for them. I hope so. Yeah, very well said. So uh, this really is my last question. Um, you all are in a, a, a pretty good position right now. It sounds like you are well prepared, even though nobody expected this to happen. I think it's fair to say that you are well prepared given the resources that you had already put in place to uh, extend these relationships outside of the school to get kids what they need at both socially, emotionally, just for basic needs, and now academically. I'm sure that there are people listening, there are teachers listening who, through no fault of their own, are working in a school or a district that is woefully unprepared for any of this and don't know what to do. Um, what do you think the first steps are that, that uh, a school or a teacher or an administrator should be taking at this point if they're kind of really behind the eight ball here and they need to really get started with what you were doing, say, a week or two ago? Well, I think for EL specifically... That's what um, I meant. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, I know our district person, Shelly, um, let me know last night that she had been in contact with um, some people at Elevation about making sure that we are still following PSPs. Um, and I know modifying and differentiating are important things, but again, getting those four domains in and thinking about creative ways that you can do it. Um, where our district is trying to figure out a way for all classroom teachers to have access to strategies and instruction on elevation. Um, I know some districts don't use elevation, but from an EL perspective, really making sure that you're hitting those four domains and that you're hitting kids where they are. If you have a newcomer, they can't read a chapter book. We know right. they can't read a chapter book. So 
um, you know, communicating with EL teachers, making sure you're looking at PSPs for students, things like that, that seem overwhelming when you have 180 kids. Um, it can be very overwhelming and kids on different levels, but making sure that you're communicating and that you're, you're really hitting those goals that that student needs because we know I mean, we as, as a district, as a state, we say that if students are out of school for 30 days, that's considered interrupted schooling. Right. Well, the entire country is having interrupted schooling right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just magnified when you don't speak the language or you're behind and you can't do things on your own or your parents are at work or your parents don't speak English. You know, there are lots of, of obstacles to overcome. So making sure that you're doing those modifications and differentiations to meet students where they are, I think is the most important thing. Yep. Yep. I couldn't have said any better myself. And, uh, you know, to let everybody know that, that, um, you mentioned elevation, everybody having it, we are working on right now, some free resources that we, um, have available to folks. So I will, um, link to those as soon as they're available. So whether you have elevation or not, we're trying to put something together that, um, teachers can use for remote learning specifically. So more on that later. I will say that I have seen a ton of free stuff pop up. Like it's really amazing how quickly everybody, Elevation, Scholastic, whoever you want to do has really kind of stepped up to ensure that people have resources. And again, it's online. So it's harder. I know there are other communities where kids can't get online. And so that that's a separate challenge. Um, but it's really impressive how quickly people have, have put things out there for teachers to use. And that's another thing that I hope doesn't end after this whole thing (laughs) is the the accessibility, the access to to high quality, um, you know, instructional tools and strategies. But we'll we'll see, I guess, when this um, when the dust settles here. Um, Well, Katie, a pleasure always to speak with you. Um, Always in awe of what you all are doing down there. You mentioned Jamie um, Combs. Combs, am I pronouncing her name right? Combs, yes. Yeah, I want to mention her and Shelly as well. You all are truly inspirational down there in Fayette. We've spoken with you quite a bit. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing some resources. And whatever we can, um, we will uh, share with any listener, um, both on our uh, Yale community as well as on uh, our Look for the Helpers video series. So I'll be in touch with you to get those um, links to folks. And um, thanks for doing what you do. Hang in there. I know you get an eight-year-old at home like I do, and it's not easy (laughs) to do that and to take care of your students at the same time, but you seem to be doing really well, and we really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.